Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geek. I'm Andrew. I'm Becky. And today we are going to be talking about Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. It is it is Friday. <laughs> Becky and I saw the movie last night at 7 o'clock, so we are slightly, more th- slightly less than, I should say, 24 hours from the point at which we plunked our butts down in seats in the theater. So we've had a little bit of time to think about it. We've talked a little bit about it, not, not too, too much. Um, this episode is going up basically with no edits because we want to get this up as quick as possible and we should let you know that there will be spoilers right we're going to talk about the movie so if you haven't seen it and you care about spoilers go ahead and take a minute pause this come back to once you've seen it or if you don't care about spoilers continue listening who doesn't care about spoilers it depends on the it depends on what the spoilers are for star wars i'd give a shit yeah other things like hey this happened in this week's comic books like i listen to a lot of ifanboy i don't care if they spoil that yeah so but don't spoil star wars well, no, because then you're a douchebag. Right. All right. So with that, <laughs> with that in mind, so Han, what did you think about the movie? I really enjoyed it. Um, there were some parts that I didn't like very much, but for the most part, I was sitting in the theater and I was just really enjoying myself. I laughed a lot. I came close to tears a couple of times. Um, yeah. I mean, overall, I thought it was really good. What about you? I also really enjoyed it. I don't think I liked this as much as Force Awakens. You know, when I walked into the theater, I didn't have that holy fuck feeling. Like it was, I wasn't completely blown away. I walked out and said, "Yeah, that was a that was a solid Star Wars movie." And I, I felt while we were watching the movie, I felt, "Oh my god, this is so amazing!" But then, as soon as the credits started rolling, I started thinking, "Well, you know, there were some issues." There, there were. And I, I mean, that's part of the reason I think I didn't like it as much. There were a few times when I was just like, ah, uh, that could have been better. But overall, I, I think I, I really enjoyed it. Yes, there are some, I'll call it elements, throwing back to Empire Strikes Back. But the reality, I think, here is that this is the second act of a three-act play. So the third, the second act is the, the darker act. And I think a lot of those shared elements from Empire come from just dramatic structure. But I think the shared elements elements and themes from this with Empire are not nearly as strong as Force Awakens and New Hope. I mean, that was one of the critiques of Force Awakens was that it was just you know, a shot-for-shot shot remake of New Hope, and well, and you know, and in a lot of ways, it was right. Let's let's not deny reality, but at the same time, I think we all kind of wanted that after the prequels. Yeah, but this was different, and I think in that way, it was a little bit refreshing um, because the fear would be, okay, are we just going to have a rehash of the original trilogy? Um, which the original trilogy is great. Don't get me wrong. It's the holy but trilogy. It is the holy trilogy, but we need something new. We do. And I think in that regard, this delivered. Yeah, I want to say, it's funny you mentioned fear. Throughout the throughout Force Awakens, I sat almost white-knuckled the whole way going, don't fuck this up, don't fuck this up. <laughs> I didn't have that at all in this movie. They had solidly established before that, okay, they can pull this off. So I kind of just sat back and said, all right, tell me a story, take me somewhere. Right. And that was, that was a nice feeling. So maybe it was that after the prequels, the, the bar was set low for Force Awakens. Fuck, it, fuck yeah, it was. <laughs> so. I mean, I, mean I, I watched the prequels and I enjoy them. I mean, you know, we're sitting in my office, I've got four sideshow figures and all four of them are clones or you know, three clones and Boba Fett. So, you know, I mean, I love a lot of the stuff that comes out of the prequels, but you know, they weren't, they weren't as good as the original trilogy and certainly they're not as good as, as these new films. Okay. Well, talking about the prequels and uh, you know, the biggest disappointment in the prequels was one particular character, uh, Jar Jar Binks. And so 
in this film, I had a character who I absolutely hated, and that was Rose. And I don't know if, I I think it was a mixture of bad writing and bad acting, but her whole character and and the acting behind it was just so contrived and hammy and... I don't know. Yeah, her, her her character is one of the more forced characters I think we've come across in in the Star Wars universe. I don't necessarily. I have nothing against the the concept of of the character Rose is. Right, she's a a person who joins the resistance shortly. It looks like shortly after the destruction of Starkiller Base. Although it's worth noting here, the timeline for the movies is a little. I don't know if it's off, but it's a little odd. It it looks like the Last Jedi in some respects takes in some respects it takes place immediately after right the end credits roll in force awakens right we open or we open i can't remember but we don't open we with... don't open with the first scenes with luke and ray are immediately following her handing him the lightsaber which is spectacular because he just chucks it over his shoulder it's yes it's a glorious <laughs> moment because you're like oh it's gonna be this huge thing and luke's like no nope, fuck off <laughs> Yes, I think we should come back to Luke's no, no, character no, in a minute. No, no, we, <laughs> we will, we will. But you know, Rose, Rose is, seems to be fairly new to the to the the resistance. I'm going to call them the rebellion at yeah. times. It's I just mean, it's happen. basically the same thing. It, it's even the same logo, right? And they go back to a rebel base at the end. Yeah. So, but you know, she she's the kind of person who who joined up after that, who very much believes in the cause and needed really just needed some some kind of inspiration some kind of drive to get involved involve herself in in a, in a fight that seems you know pretty well hopeless but she's so the, the character's so forced optimistic and so she can't see the 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 downsides to the resistance right the resistance is just so amazing yeah to her and it's and and the people involved because the first time we meet rose she is is talking to finn as finn is succumbing to fear and trying to escape in an escape pod and even when finn disappoints her because she holds finn in such high regard as being a, as a, a hero a legend of the rebellion or of the, of the resistance it, it doesn't phase her there there's no acknowledgement that 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 uh, really of reality that these are perfect and Im, Im, these are that these are imperfect beings yeah well and the the part where they are on the back of the horse-like animal uh, escaping from the the rich gambling city. Um, I and and part of it was the music, and admittedly, it's John Williams. It very much felt like ET to me, and I think part of it was the music that was playing in the background. But it it seemed like children running away from something rather than adults, you know, taking a leadership position as. Poe developed through through it. It it just felt very childish to I, me. I will, I will say I actually think that's part of the point. I mean, she, Rose frequently or, or spends a lot of time talking about her childhood when they're on this planet. So I don't know that that's accidental. I feel like that's intentional. Yeah, and and they did you know inspire the little slave children or servant children or whoever they were. Um, I, I don't know. I just that character just really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. She just didn't seem to fit with everybody else. And and all the other fantastic actors and performances that were given. And I, I'd like to say some of it is due to the writing of that character and not necessarily the acting. But I no, don't know. <laughs> but I think a better performance would... would again, I feel the same way. I think a better performance would, would make me dislike the character less. Yeah. Now, so, so we, we mentioned Luke... And I would say, speaking of legends, because that that plays a lot into Luke's part of the movie, where you know, as we find Luke at the end of 
Force Awakens, he is on this island and it's this temple where the the original Jedi were and Luke has come there to die. So I mean, we've all seen the trailer part where Luke says, all I know is that the Jedi need to die. And, you know, we all assumed it's, oh, there's this, this kind of nefarious, there's Luke turning and very much Luke's role in this film is him paying for his hubris you know luke I mean, he talks about it a lot but you know he basically he has failed training another generation of jedi and he has come to this island to die to pay basically pay for that and and pay for really driving ben solo to becoming kylo ren because as, as we find out there's more to it than meets the eye and that luke succumbed to a moment of weakness and instinct and went to strike down Ben stopped but it was too late things had already gone into motion and I really liked one of the parts where Luke is talking he talks about the hubris of the Jedi and, and you know the fact that they, they their legacy is failure and it kind of reminds me of when Obi-Wan is talking to Luke for the first time and he says I thought I could train him as well or no, actually, it's on, um, I'm thinking Return of the Jedi, actually. Um, when Obi-Wan admits, I thought I could train Anakin as well as Yoda could, and I was wrong. And it's that admission that the Jedi are fallible, and that there's this this legacy built up around these characters. And the fact that, you know, they're still human beings, and they're flawed, and they make mistakes. And, it, and it's, a lot of it's how we deal with those mistakes and what we take from them. Yeah, and... First of all, I'm going to come back to that. First of all, I have to say, when he said that he came to the island to die, my first thought was, well, you're working really hard to survive. You know, he's got this giant harpoon thing that he, you know, flings himself across to a cliffside and then, you know, is stabbing giant fish and he's going to these creatures that are laying on the rocks and getting milk and, and stuff. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, that, to me, that it struck me as... He didn't, he doesn't want to die now. Right. But that if he stayed in the galaxy at large in society, he would be forced into trying again with another group of Jedi. And he, he needs the Jedi to die with him. Right. And if nobody can find him, then so right. be it. Right. It's just the first thought in my head was, you're doing a really good job of surviving for somebody who wants to die. Right. <laughs> but going back to his hubris and, and the legend thing, I think... One thing we definitely have to talk about is the fact that we get to find out who Ray's parents are, or rather, we don't get to find out. There's nothing significant about Ray's parents. And I love that. I love that too. And I think it's great that part of the reason it's so important that Luke is is having this crisis over his hubris, over his role as a legend, is that it's going to be really easy for her to follow the same path because he was, yes, he was Anakin Skywalker's son, but... He's still a farm boy from he's, Tatooine. He's a farm boy from Tatooine. I mean, he didn't know, he thought he was nobody up until, you know, he found R2-D2 and got caught up with Obi-Wan and then now all of a sudden he's the most famous person in the galaxy and she's starting out in a very similar way being a nobody from a desert planet and now she's the most powerful one of the most powerful beings in the galaxy you know it it would be very easy for her to fall into the same uh same cycle same pattern well and i like the fact that ray is a nobody in the fact that she's not a skywalker she's not a kenobi whatever destiny she makes for herself is her own it is not mm -hmm. dependent on her bloodline it is not dependent on anyone else but her and i loved when kylo said you're nobody in this story because i mean we've all been wondering who she 
she's related to. She's got to be related to somebody. She's got to be somebody important. It's like, no, you're nobody. But now you are the lead character in Star Wars. Well, and Kyla says, you're nobody. And that's good. Like, you can you can be whatever you want to be. You can leave this the past behind of the Jedi and the Sith and everything and do something new and different and not hold on to it. What did you think about their connection throughout the movie? It was interesting. At first, I wasn't, I was kind of, Oh, God, about it. Uh, as they progressed the story, I liked it a lot more. I actually kind of expected it to be Luke pulling the strings and not mm-hmm. um, Snoke. I, I figured it was Snoke, but... Well, I mean, like, I, I acknowledge that was a possibility, but I thought, oh, man, that would be a really cool twist if it were Luke. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting... Because it, at times, it, it had a an almost darkly romantic twist to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it was it was done in such a way that it made you feel uncomfortable and it made it feel perverse. Yeah. Like you didn't want it to happen. I also I felt like I mean, for one thing we're we're seeing Jedi powers that we haven't really seen before. Dialed to 11. Yes, exactly. It goes to 11. Um, but you know, for me I was I was seeing the two of them, you know, speaking to each other across great distances and I actually I love how they did it with no special effects. They're both just in their scenes. Right. Right, there's, and... there's basically no crossover between the two, which would have been really easy to to do in terms of like, obviously physically it's really easy to do, but in terms of as a storytelling device, just, oh, here's here's Kylo. He's only, only Ray can see him, but Kylo's here. No, he's not. But the two of them are interacting in their own spaces like they're together. That was, you know, that was yeah, really well done. Yeah, it, it was very cool. But I just kept getting a throwback to um, at the end of Empire when um, Luke is hanging from right. Cloud City and he's calling out to Leia and you're right it's it's like that except dialed to 11 so for me it, it, I kept feeling like the two of them were siblings even though we know that they're not and so that's well to be fair through through a lot of that we didn't know that for a fact right but it it would have been really hard for them to have been siblings retcon like a motherfucker Uh, (laughs) um so but it just it had like how are they so connected they've got to be related somehow and so then when there's kind of this like romantic undertone implication it's like oh that's it's well, weird. <laughs> well, there's that. That also touches on probably the other major theme in the movie is the idea of balance, mm-hmm. and that and and Snoke even says it as Kylo rose in the dark side. Someone was going to rise in the light to balance him out. Snoke assumed it was Skywalker, but it was Rey instead. Yep. And even when Luke is describing the Force to Rey, he talks about the light and the dark. The you know, and in the middle is the Force, is the balance, and that's. Where where these abilities, where the strength comes from. And you really see it play out throughout the movie. The idea that one is the balance for the other. And I'm fairly stoked for the next film to see where they take that concept. Because I think it's going to have to play into the next film fairly heavily. Yes. The fact that it's going to be Rey on one side and Kylo on the other. Yes. But... I have to say, I loved the fight scene when they were working together. That was just, I, I didn't see that coming. And it was just so cool. I didn't see it coming before the movie started. Once no. we were in the movie, it was like, okay, yeah, this is. Yeah, to, to be fair, about halfway through that scene, it turned exceptionally predictable. Yeah. But it was still, it was still a good payoff for the scene. And you're, I think it was, I'll say more visceral. It was a more, a little more vicious fight than we're used to seeing with lightsabers. Because they're fighting the Imperial Guard. But I mean, they're getting in 
headlocks and they're getting in, you know, things like that. I, I just have to throw in here, being a huge Ahsoka fan, when Rey was using the lightsaber backhanded a couple of times, I got super excited. <laughs> Well, what was I love Ahsoka. What was actually, I think, more interesting, because she, that reminds me, when she first pulls out the lightsaber, what she's doing are very samurai moves, which is what lightsaber fencing is originally based on, is samurai uh, styles, but with two hands instead of one. But when Rey starts, she's very much going through basic uh, Japanese sword routines, and it's really interesting. Yeah, but I just, I felt like the, uh, the reverse grip or the backhanded grip was, for me, it felt like... Ahsoka was a little bit there and that just made me happy because girlfriend needs some representation. (laughs) I would also say it's worth noting in that scene that we had the, the death of Supreme Leader Snoke which was, I mean, I liked the death. It was kind that of funny. That was a cool death. <laughs> it was a, it was a cool way for him to go. However, I I don't Snoke didn't do shit. Yeah, and I still that was that was so disappointing. I still want to know who he is. Like I'm, I can accept that Ray comes from no, just random people, but you know, how, who is he? How did as, he ra- as strong rise strong in to the dark pow- side as he is? Right, he needs to have come from somewhere. So, and now that he's dead, I'm. I don't know that we're ever going to get an explanation, and I'm not okay with that. I did love when he forced used force lightning on the floor, and it ricocheted up and blasted Kylo off his feet. <laughs> that was a fucking great use of force powers, right there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like Snoke has pretty crazy force powers. I was a little disappointed at some of the animation for Snoke. It looked a little, and I, I will actually say, in in there were a number of places across the film the animation didn't look very good you mentioned the scene where they're they're writing the they're on the writing creatures that did yeah. not look right yeah there were a couple moments in that that it's like that's very blatantly cgi well it's cgi and it, but it was it didn't look good either right um you guys have been doing this long enough <laughs> yeah the supreme leader snoke on a on a couple of occasions it was like uh you're you don't quite match your background you're like you don't quite fit your background here Yes. Um, so talking about bad CGI, uh, one thing I loved was that they had a puppet for Yoda. Most of the time. Most of the time. When he first, so so yes, Yoda does appear and he lectures Luke. And I I grabbed your hand when I saw Yoda yes. and was just like ah yay. <laughs> well, I was like it it is very much fan service. It is very gratui- gratuitous, and I don't give a flying fuck because <laughs> god damn it, I liked it. It was. It was I, good. You, I don't. I don't care what your what argument you're going to say. Just tell me for someone to tell me it sucks. Eat a dick. I don't care. It's Yoda. Fuck off. Right. And um, he was he was a puppet and he was silly, just like he was in in Empire and Jedi, rather than the very serious Jedi master that he is in the prequel and in Clone Wars. Yeah. Um. And the and and what he had to say to Luke. And again, we're talking. You know, we go back to the idea of legend. And Yoda's like, "What did I tell you?" Pass on what you have learned, not just your successes, your failures. And immediately, when as soon as he said, uh, your, when he talked about passing on his failures, immediately my brain goes to Empire Strikes Back when he, Luke's getting ready to leave Dagobah. And Yoda says, you're, the cave, the cave, remember your failure at the cave. And it's not a, you're not, I, I suddenly take that now, not as a warning, remember how poorly you did then, as take the lesson you learned with you. Right. But I love the fact that 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 triggers something in a movie I've seen probably pushing a hundred times. And it has changed the way I view that that scene in a positive way. I mean, and I love it. I mean, 
Yoda walks up and clonks him in the head with his with his with his stick, just trying trying to get sensitive. But the same idea, and again a throwback to Empire Strikes Back. He calls him out for it again. Never your never his mind on where he was, what he was doing. He calls him out for that specific thing again. Yep. Um. What do you think about Luke dying? I'm okay with it. Um. Yeah, me too. The unfortunate part is that we as the audience know that's now the end of the original three. Not necessarily, though. He, he could come back as a blue ghost. <laughs> no, and, and, and to be perfectly honest, I expect that. Yeah. Because the way that end scene plays, it appears like Luke strained himself too far. Right. So what happens is that Luke creates this force image to uh, on the planet where the the resistance has taken refuge which is another thing we've never seen before right and luke then engages kylo ren now i don't know about you i knew something was slightly off when he came when he drew his saber and it was the wrong lightsaber i did not notice that but i am not as it's, geeky as you are it's anakin's saber hmm. well for one it's blue but two if right you, if, i mean if you look at it it's anakin's it's the style of anakin's saber and that is what mega geeks notice I'm yeah. just a regular geek. Well, I kind of was like, I kind of looked, I was like, that's off. And then I was like, oh, I guess he built a new lightsaber. I did notice that his his, his appearance was different. I mean, that that I figured, I'm like, oh, I, you know, I guess he cleaned himself up. Right. <laughs> uh, I did like the fact that he was wearing the black. It, it, it reminded me a lot of how he looked at the end of Return of the Jedi, but it wasn't the same outfit. Um but anyways, so this all ends up being a force illusion and you know Luke has been projecting it from this other planet. And the way that scene played to me is that Luke just strained himself too much using the force to do that. And that after afterwards, he just went ahead and succumbed to the force. Right. So no, I, I certainly think he is he is going to be back as a as a force ghost. I think especially because Carrie Fisher will not be back. Right. But yeah, I mean, you know, we as the audience know that like really realistically, this is the end of Han, Luke and Leia. Right. And you know, unfortunately, you can't play it off as the characters do. There were a couple, I think, and again, unfortunately, you know, you just, you don't, they didn't know Carrie Fisher was going to pass because I mean, it's literally almost been a year now since she died. Right. Um, But there were a couple of missed opportunities, I think, to kill off Leia's character in well, there was great the, ways. There was the biggest one and I know how you feel about it. I do. <laughs> Flying Leia looked fuck. First off, it looked bad. Second off, it was fucking stupid. I, I get the idea that they're trying to convey that Leia also has this connection to the Force. There were other ways to do it that didn't look that fucking stupid. And I don't care how Force powerful you are. If you open your eyeballs in the vacuum of space, yeah, you're they're toast. Yeah, like mm, yeah, that that was just so dumb. And they and I understand. I think they were trying to stick with the original script um, and not kill her off. Because we all are expecting it, because we know that she passed away. But at the same time, everything after the the bridge got blown up and she got sucked into space, everything that her character did after that wasn't necessary. There were other ways to accomplish anything after that that her character did. I think with the exception of the one moment where Luke hands her Hans dice. Yes. Which that that hit me right in the feels. Square in the fucking feels. But, I mean, but it was an illusionary dice anyways. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, you I, didn't, I understand. You didn't, know it, you didn't know it until later. I understand. And, I, and I, I get what they were trying to do. They didn't want to kill her off just because Carrie Fisher died. But at the same time, you apparently already in the script, because they clearly filmed it, um, 
had her basically dying. So right, um, yeah. The, so that was one moment. The other one was when Laura Dern's character stays behind. Yes. To um to pilot the cruiser. That also would have been a good time, especially at that point because you Carrie Fisher at that point had had talked to Poe enough to do the handoff. Right. Or they they could have talked her through, you know, talked it through. And so Laura Dern's character could have taken Carrie Fisher's position. Yes. And it would have been a good way. I mean, Carrie Fisher even says we've been doing this too long. And like, I actually thought when Carrie Fisher said that, I was like, all right, Carrie, stand behind. Like, Leia's stand behind. That's. And then uh, she gets on the shuttle. like, oh. Come on, missed yeah. opportunity. I had I had the same thought because I really wanted to see more of Laura Dern's character. Although I gotta say, the way she took down that fleet was pretty badass. Going yes. light speed through the whole fleet. Well, I'm first thinking like she hit light speed and like okay, like that like I wasn't like I thought they were like she was gonna like ram them and then it's a couple second delayed before Snoke's cruiser splits in like third. Yeah. Basically like one third and two thirds. It's like, oh, oh snap. That that was one of two, I don't know if design elements or um scenes that I I really loved. I loved the effect of the cruiser going through the whole armada. Yeah. And then a few seconds and then you hear the boom, like a few seconds of si- I love silence in movies. It's so powerful. Um, it, it, so it's funny because you and I were actually just watching Force Awakens before we recorded this because we got in the mood for it. <laughs> yep. And I remember hearing an interview, maybe an interview or me, you know, you know, I actually know it. I think it was um, when we went to the Virginia Symphony doing the Star Wars night. Uh-huh. I think the director talked about John Williams trying to figure out what to do with Ray to introduce her. And he actually in, does doesn't, there's no music. It's absolutely silent yep. when Ray first comes on screen until she basically comes out of the Star Destroyer and rides the sand dune down. It's completely silent. I thought that was... Yeah. That's very, very effective. Yeah. So I love silence in movies and I loved that effect. I also really loved the mineral planet and how it had that layer of either salt or snow or something. The salt. And... And then, you know, every time it's disturbed, you see this bright crimson red. And it, it it was such a cool design. I'm like, who thinks of these things? Very creative people who get paid way more money. I, I was slightly perturbed with that one only because, like, it because it looks like snow, they had to do something to be like, oh, it's not Hoth. Right. So the guy like taste a little bit of it and he goes and he spits it out and he goes salty right and i was like yeah i i I get why you did it right really right but i i just still loved uh i loved that red coming out and then once the battle and the speeders coming out yeah yeah i mean and and once it's all said and done there's just this sea of red and you know it obviously is supposed to evoke a feeling of blood even though it isn't um and it, it's just a visual representation of how bloody and devastating this whole thing has been without actually showing you blood and yeah. it was it was just really cool design i loved that now one of my one of my complaints and i i think i alluded to this earlier is the timeline for the movie in the fact that we go through several at least several days with Luke and Ray. But for the Rebel fleet, there's they're on an 18-hour window of fuel. Right. And it doesn't quite mesh. It doesn't quite line up. I, I and think... And that, that, that repeatedly bugged me throughout the movie. I think I can explain. I don't think when we meet up with the Rebels, it's not as soon as Ray Ray, and and so then the Ray Luke timeline has to catch up because when I was really bothered 
that the movie didn't start with, and I understand every Star Wars movie has to start with a giant space battle or has to start in space, but the fact that we, you know, start the movie and then we go back to the very last moment of the last movie, um, I was like, this is, this is bugging me that we're going backwards in time. Um, but eventually they all come together into the same timeline. And, and I accept that, but the, the way the film was put together doesn't convey that well at all. Yeah, I agree. Um, And and that, and that bugged me. I also, I was a little bugged at the end when um, Poe and Ray meet because they should have met at the end of the last movie before she goes with Chewie. They were both on the base together and yeah, that did, and I mean, I understand the two of these two main characters have never actually been on screen together. And I think it was just, you know, they didn't think about it. And it was a missed, it was a missed scene in the first movie. So now you can't act like they're old chums. But I mean, she was there long enough to change her clothes and take a shower and <laughs> yeah no that that was that was weird yeah um so I, I think it was just we need to acknowledge the fact that the two of them have never been on screen together by doing it this way but it it just eh, it didn't work for me no I, I would agree let's see what else I'm trying to think what else there was what else there is worth talking about oh uh something you and I you and I talked about in the car on the way home is Kylo Ren as the new big bad yeah and so, so you would <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you start this off I'll, I'll preface it with what you were telling me is that you're not convinced of Kylo's fall to the dark side like his complete fall to the dark side it's not convincing it yeah I still feel feel like there's conflict within him um which would i mean there's there's obviously the parallel with vader and especially after the prequels we know that vader was basically just a whiny uh whiny emotional young man and kylo is vader turned to 11 so he's whinier and more emotional and more conflicted and so you know at the end of jedi we have vader dealing with his conflict and coming back to the light ever so briefly and and so i think because the parallels to to kylo kylo and vader are so similar and just because of the writing and because of the acting by adam driver i still feel like there's a lot of conflict in him and he's not a hundred percent on the dark side right and my take on it is that the character is constantly acting like a petulant child and the fact that you're saying that it doesn't feel like he he feels like he feels conflicted he feels like he hasn't made a choice i mean he's a child lashing out at whatever's in front of him in order to make a choice you've got to have some further state of you know cognitive ability and i think to an extent kylo's not there he's still the kid who luke attacked right now i I do think i do think that that in some regards amplifies the story as as i think about it the fact that basically since this moment in 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 Kylo's life he has just been effectively just spiraling out of control right where even no matter the por- the person telling the story Kylo Ren just kind of, kind of comes across as just a teenage kid who's still trying to figure himself out when when the incident with Luke happens and that's what pushes him over the edge but then he just keeps falling and he can't gain 
any control. But that doesn't, in this case, I don't think it makes for an effective villain because at this point now he's supposed to be leading what amounts to the Galact- the new version of the Galactic Empire. I mean, Vader, whether or not he was angry or whatnot, you know, it conflicted at times perhaps, Vader was supremely in control. When Vader stepped into the room, there was fear because of the presence he had. When Kylo steps in the room, it's fear because you don't know who he's going to lash out at and how he's going to, what tantrum he's going to throw. And that doesn't particularly convey fear to me. I think in the next movie, they're going to have a great opportunity to really, if, if, if they choose to make him truly go down the path of the dark side and, and become, you know, truly the epitome of the dark side, they've got a great opportunity um, with the unfortunate passing of Carrie Fisher. I mean, I can, I see uh, the ninth movie starting off with Leia's funeral and having the death of his mother because we see in this film, he still, I don't know if he still loves her, but he still, he cannot bring himself to harm her. And because there's, there's something about, you know, your mother not that it should be any easier to kill your father, but you know, your mother birthed you, your mother cared for you. Well, and I think they have an opportunity with the death of Leia that is inevitable. Uh, they can't, they've already said they're not recasting her. Um, so with the death of Leia, you have an opportunity for something to really, his the last thing that he's holding on to the light side, I feel like is her. And I feel like, with that, they could make it definitive that he is definitely on the dark side. I mean, it's funny you say it's not easier to kill. Your, it's not easier to kill your father than your mother. I would actually argue that psychologically, given the Oedipal complex, it is far easier to kill your father than it is to kill your mother. Yes, I'm just. You know, as we sit here with our infant son sleeping, you know, a few feet away, I didn't want to say that. <laughs> well, no, that's because you want to kill me yourself. Well, yes, after he's old enough and I don't have to change any more diapers. That's fair. Yeah. And also, people, please stop naming your children Kylo. Did you not see the movie? So what, did, what did you think of Benicio Del Toro? Okay. Um. As I'm just staring at the IMDb page going, who haven't we talked about? Actually, I, I thought he was fine. I, You know, the character was interesting. Um, really? You thought he was interesting? I thought he was interesting. Okay, so this is my feeling about it. Being uh, a former special ed teacher and disability advocate, I was like, cool, we have a character who has a speech impediment and <laughs> isn't somebody to be pitied. He's actually kind of a villain. Uh, and so so for me, from a disability equal rights standpoint, I was like, yay, go speech impediment. Because I'm weird like that. Um, it, but, uh, see, yeah. I, I really could have done with, I think the story could have done without his character entirely. I just, I, I feel like if there was more of him, I would have rather had him than Rose. Um, sure. And. I, I mean, in he, general, I mean, Benicio del Toro is a very talented actor. So yes. I, I'm perfectly fine with having him. But there was effectively zero character development for him. Yeah. And, and he was weird because, you know, he's obviously like this scoundrel type and he takes her necklace supposedly as payment and then he gives it back to her um and then but then he sells them out to the first order and it's like i mean yes i i get the point is that not everybody is is one side or the other some people are just existing in this galaxy 
and are out to support themselves. So I get that. But also, if he's out to support himself, they already were expecting that he was going to, you know, keep her necklace. Why did he? It was just, he was an interesting character. A the, weird the character. One thing, the one thing the character did bring, again, going back to the topic of balance, is he has a conversation with Finn about how the person they stole the ship from, oh, how terrible they are. And he starts flipping through the guy's um, inventory. And, he, you know, it's it's Imperial Walkers and TIE Fighters. And then and it comes then it comes across an X-Wing. And it's like, yep. look, this guy's selling to, he's selling to both sides. So maybe he's bad, maybe he's good. But again, it's, it's that idea of balance. You're, there's you're, there's you're... no black and white. Right. Yeah. And, and that was a pervasive theme through the whole thing. You know, you have your perceptions about who is good and who is bad. You have your perceptions about Laura Dern character what she's doing right uh and you have your perceptions of what it means to be a leader and what it means to be a hero and you know all of those things are questioned and right and flipped around to some degree so yeah what'd you think of the porgs let's be honest they were the stars they were they were mildly entertaining <laughs> especially when chewie cooked a couple and the other porgs were uh displeased that and then they started nesting in the falcon yeah which i thought was hysterical because it's just like yeah that makes Makes sense like the, the falcon i mean we all love the millennium falcon but you know anyone who follows star wars knows the millennium falcon is actually kind of a piece of shit right so you know the fact that it's now it now has small furry animals nesting in it yeah that works yeah part of me wasn't it wasn't clear whether chewy like felt bad for eating them and invited them on or if they just kind of made their way on and he was it, no, I think they just kind of made their way on. I think so too, but you know, to some degree, it seemed like he was kind of keeping one or two as like a pet, maybe like an I annoying mean, pet, like like our dog. I, well, no, I was gonna say, I was <laughs> gonna say like a, like a mascot, like the the cockroach in at work that got stuck in the the outlet. Okay, let me let me phrase this, and I say this. And this is not an exaggeration. About 12 years ago, because it was before I started working at my current job, and I've been there for nearly 10 years, They one of the projects was working out of a, I think it was like a, it was like a triple wide trailer that had been there forever. It was still there up until recently, and up until recently hadn't even been worked on. And at one point, a cockroach tried crawling out from behind one of the uh, light sockets, the, the, the outlets, and got stuck halfway and died. And he was there up until about six months ago. A, a friend of mine went back to the trailer to go get something and, and discovered that that he was going. We, I mean, we, we named it. We, it was Sparky. Sparky was our mascot. We used to we used to we we cut out little speech balloons and like we taped them up next to Sparky with like motivational th- sayings. And I feel like that's the Porgs. The Porgs are like you know the Porgs are cockroaches. Well, aside from that, but like the Porgs are like <laughs> you know they're like okay they're here. Guess what? They're they're the new unofficial mascot. Here you go. Slap them on. Here's something that we can now merchandise because it's adorable. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll probably go find a pork pop. I saw them when we were in Disneyland a couple months ago, and I was like, oh, these things are going to be in the new movie. I thought they were going to play more more than just a a pest role, but (laughs) annoying little animal role, but... Uh, yeah, I remember seeing the the merchandise already <laughs> with the porg, and I, I thought porg was going to be like a specific, like a one. specific one. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's merchandising. Yeah, yeah, Mel Brooks hit that one right on the nose. Yep. So uh, I, th- I think we'll go ahead and wrap up here. I-, I think my last thought on the film, other than the fact that I really did enjoy it, is thinking about the film today. I came out of Force Awakens liking the new cast as a whole, but not really feeling particularly warm towards anyone in particular like oh yeah they're all good i now feel much 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 more interested much more warm towards ray i really really liked 
Yeah. Ray, I really liked it. Daisy Ridley in this. It was just, she did a very good job. The character is, is going into great places. I, I think, I mean, we'll see what the next film film has to offer, but I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I, I will say the only thing um, about the characters relationships that kind of bugged me was um, Ray and Finn, you know, Finn is always looking out for Ray um, and, and doing almost everything he does is for Ray. And then, you know, she's not really, she doesn't really mention him until, they start heading back and she tells Chewie to uh to say to him well, I mean, <laughs> when they meet part part of that i think though is the fact that finn has no life outside the first order except for ray right and especially as quickly after the film after the, the last film as this one takes place i mean finn hasn't even finn has been unconscious in between right and so, well, so but ray has i mean it's not a good life but ray has a life outside of Finn. Right. Um, but it just, I feel like they're trying to make this like kind of love triangle between Ray, Finn, and Rose. And I just don't feel, I don't feel that much of a connection between uh, Ray and Finn. And I think part of it is, you know, in uh, in Empire, Luke was, you know, constantly doing everything for his friends. He was constantly talking about Han and Leia and everything. And Ray, Ray isn't, she's on a journey of self-discovery. Not that, that, that that's wrong or selfish of her, but um, if, if they're trying to make a little love triangle thing. I'm not buying any tension there. I don't know that they are because I I think part of this film was the fact that Ray and Finn were apart and Finn starts to develop apart from an identity outside of his relationship to Ray. Yeah. And and I and, I mean again the Rose character for either for for both of us is is kind of whatever, but I think I mean I mean in the first film there was always kind of a are they going to go that way? Are they not? Because we're all aware of the love triangle from the original trilogy. Right. And it was kind of one of those, are they going to try and and play that off, play that up? You know, at, at, Obviously, at first it was kind of like, you know, the, when they introduced Finn, and they introduced Poe, and they introduced Ray. You're like, okay, well, there there you go. Right. And then they didn't go that direction. I, I don't think they're trying to go for the love triangle. I don't honestly, I mean, there's, I think, going to be a little bit of a, a love story between Finn and Rose. I don't even know that they're really going to push for a, a love story at all in this film, or in this trilogy. And... Which... I think is great. Yeah, I would be fine with. Um, yeah, yeah. But overall, I really enjoyed this movie. And it, it was a little long sometimes. Yeah, it was a little, it was a hair bloated. Yeah, but it was, it was very enjoyable. And I can't wait to see it again. Although it'll probably be when it comes out. Yeah, I was kind of trying to figure out when we could go see it again. Or like, at least when I could see it. Like I was being a little selfish on that one. Um, I know. <laughs> actually, at one point, um, my former boss came in to talk to me about the movie movie because we're both giant star wars nerds and was like i mentioned like yeah i really want to see it again and he's like he walked out and looked at my current boss and said hey we're taking off we're gonna see star wars again (laughs) we didn't but we probably could have and maybe should have he was having a a tough day um yeah two and a half hours that the runtime's a little bloated yeah oh and uh i think i think 215 they probably could have gotten gotten it gotten it well what's the box office looking like ah box office yes thank you for reminding me so box office mojo is right now is reporting that force awakens is I'm sorry, not Force Awakens. Last Jedi is open to $45 million on Thursday. That is uh, less than 
Force uh, Awakens pulled in by about 25%. We actually had an empty seat next to us in theater. We did. Um, but it is significantly over where Rogue One opened. Rogue One only opened about $29 million. Only. Yeah, but the, I mean, we're looking, uh, Box Office Mojo is predicting a $200 million plus opening weekend for Force Awakens. God damn it, Last Jedi. <laughs> I think I've done that about four times now. This is what a podcast sounds like when it's not edited. Yeah, and I mean, if it if it can pull in $200 million in the first weekend, it's easily going to break the top five for the year, which would put Disney at three, or I'm sorry, more or less four of the top five. Because it would have Beauty and the Beast, Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man Homecoming, and wherever in that top five, and I think it'll be number one, uh, Star Wars Falls. Because, I mean, Beauty, the, Beauty and the Beast is is up at 500, just over 500 million. I get the feeling Star Wars will crush that by week three. Right. I, I don't think this is going to be Force Awakens numbers. I just, again, I liked it. It was good. It wasn't as good. I, and, I, and I think that can be argued, not just my opinion, but from a, um, I lost my thought <laughs> but from a, an objective there we go that's the word i was looking for an objective perspective this is why we're married it's one of many reasons we're married <laughs> many many reasons yeah but from i think you can be argued from an object an objective perspective that that force awakens was a stronger film although the critical reviews are extremely high i mean it's it's a good we're we're being pretty nick nitpicky well, it, about it. it it's interesting that, so the critical reviews are extremely high something like 94 percent on rotten tomatoes the user the user reviews are sitting somewhere in the mid 60s i think us fans are being nitpicky well there's that i also think that's going to go up after opening weekend that's after yes. opening night so these are the the uber ultra diehard star wars fans i think fandom in general will see uh, the vast majority will see it at some point this weekend what would you give it i'd probably give it a solid four four and a half stars me too you know i i, I mean i think i would i would give force awakens five um i mean my favorite is still empire strikes back and i don't think anything's going to change that but <laughs> guy empire is so fucking good not only is it my favorite one it's the greatest fucking sequel ever made Toy Story 2 is pretty good. I mean, no, there are, so, there are some other, there are some <laughs> other very strong contenders. Toy Story 2, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. There are some strong contenders for best sequel ever, but I still don't <laughs> think anything touches Empire. Anyways. All right, folks, if you like what we do, make sure you head over to thereforegeek.com. Check out our blog posts and our podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And Stitcher. So, all of them. All of the things. So once again, I'm Andrew. I'm Becky. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek.